Um, but we're pleased to welcome uh, the general director of uh, Multiply um, to preach God's word to us today. Uh, his name is Bruce Enns. Bruce, welcome to Cornerstone. Bruce comes to us all the way from Saskatoon. I think he's appreciating the, the early summer weather that we're uh, giving him today. Um, and so, Bruce, uh, welcome. Bruce is new to his role in Multiply. Um, welcome, and we are thankful to have you here to preach God's word to us. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, it's really good to be here uh, with you this morning. As Kevin said, it's much warmer here than it is in Saskatoon, uh, but it's good. And a uh, real privilege uh, just to be here with Doug. Uh, one of the joys I have with Multiply is just getting to know some really quality people, and I just feel so privileged to be able to serve alongside them and just getting to know Doug and his heart and his ministry, which you folks uh, know, but he's just a huge blessing to our collective work and working with people in not only in Africa, but also helping churches in Canada and the U.S. connect with uh, different groups that are here in our countries. And Doug's been really instrumental in that. And I just uh, appreciate the brother and working uh, together with him and so many others. Uh, I was saying to Doug this morning, we had breakfast together, and I said, I feel like my role is I'm sort of like uh, a conductor of an orchestra. I might play an instrument or two, but not very well, uh, but these are world-class musicians who play these instruments so well, and I, I just sort of get to conduct and try to bring some harmony to things and uh, kind of stay out of the way and uh, just see what God is doing collectively in our work. And so thank you for being a church that is engaged with uh, Multiply and with the, the work uh, globally. And uh, I want to encourage you in God's Word this morning uh, and just... Uh, also uh, lift all of our eyes to see more of who Jesus is and what he's inviting us into. Um, I think I have a picture of my family here. Uh, if we have that picture, yeah, there you go. Uh, I am a father of four adult daughters, and uh, my wife Lisa and I were the ones with the hats. Uh, she's got the toque on there. And uh, we have four adult daughters in this stage of parenting adult children. They're uh, from 21 to 29, and uh, just a really great stage of life. We made it through the teen years relatively unscathed. Um, uh, three of them still live in Saskatoon uh, with us. One has moved uh, back to BC and is working there at Columbia Bible College. But uh, just really thankful for God's blessing to us uh, in these girls. Lisa and I have been married for 33 years, uh, and it's just been a life and ministry partner uh, who brings me much joy and keeps me sane and uh, is a real encouragement. So I want to continue on in the Sermon on the Mount uh, series that you've been in. Kevin had asked me if I wanted to uh, join in with the series, and I said, absolutely, especially when he gave me the text that you're in, which is the text on, on salt and light. And I think that works well uh, with uh, just some, as we think about mission, whether it's local right here in your community or global on the other side of the world. God just continues to call us to be salt and light wherever we are and with the opportunities that He gives us. And, and again, you can travel the outside of the world of Uganda or you can just walk across the room or walk across the street and be a part of God's kingdom work of being salt and light wherever He has placed us. And so just want to encourage each one of us in that. But as I think about the Sermon on the Mount, it's this radical, beautiful invitation to kingdom living, isn't it? And sometimes we, we don't know exactly what to think of it, but it's, it's really the nature of what life in the kingdom looks like by the power of the Spirit. And one author, Scott McKnight, he says this about the Sermon on the Mount. It's about discovering the living God in the loving and dying Jesus and learning to reflect that love ourselves into the world that needs it so badly. 
And even last week as you were walking through the Beatitudes and as you continue on in Matthew 5, you see that there are just so many things that are shocking, demanding, uncompromising. And sometimes our tendency is we try to tame the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? We try to sort of mute it in some way. We think, well, that's for a life of another time or that's for somebody else. Um, And yet, it's like the kingdom of of God. You can't suppress the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is among us and the kingdom of God is emerging and we are invited into it. And so the Sermon on the Mount helps us to see and to understand it because it is spirit-produced kingdom life. And it gives us all kinds of imaginative insights about such things as anger, divorce, truth-telling, enemy-loving, praying, materialism. The Sermon on the Mount teaches us about so much of that. And in the Beatitudes uh, that you've been focusing on the last couple of weeks, this teaching of how blessed you are when you're humble, poor in spirit, those who mourn, the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the, the persecuted even. And it's this invitation to kingdom living and the promise of what he produces in us as we follow him. And it's not a call to an easy life, but it's a call to a meaningful life. It's a call to a kingdom life, a life that will change us us and change our perspectives, our priorities, and the way we respond to the things around us. And so in our passage today, Jesus gives us two piercing and very practical metaphors of what it means to live in the kingdom. And he talks about salt and light as ways that we can be followers of Jesus in the world today. And how we're called to creatively live out our faith to be light in dark places, to be like a fertilizer, a seasoning, a salt in bland and dry places. And that God's kingdom might be revealed and embraced amidst whatever we see and experience around us. And so the text, verse 13 to 16, Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. What's interesting is what Jesus says here is he declares that they are salt and light to these people that he's talking to, which we'll get to in just a minute. But he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And these are both statements of fact and also prophetic declarations They are part of the now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying you need to live more fully into who who you already are. You are these things. Now live into these things. And so it's this prophetic, prophetic declaration, but also this statement of reality. And he's saying that they are the salt and light, not the temple, not Jerusalem, not the Torah, not the Pharisees, but you are. You as the people of God If you want to follow me, are salt and light. Kingdom priests and sojourners in the kingdom. Well, salt, as we know, is a preservative, a fertilizer, flavoring. For some of you, it's your favorite seasoning. Mine is pepper. 
You can never put on enough pepper, salt, uh, not so much. But in ancient times, it was used, as we know, as a preservative. You would preserve food, and it was also a type of fertilizer. So it had many different functions. And the widely held view is that Jesus is not just pointing to one specific application, but he's simply referring to just something that is vitally necessary for life. And it impacts everything that it comes in contact with. It changes it. It changes the nature of things. That's what salt does in all kinds of different ways. And so he's saying, as you experience this kingdom transformation in your own life and what has happened to you, as you get to know me, Jesus is saying, and as you follow me and understand what it means to live life in the Spirit and in His kingdom, it will change you and it will ooze out of you and flow out of you and affect all the people around you and everyone that you come in contact with. And so it's this invitation to know more and more of Jesus and His kingdom so that we will live differently in the world. And everybody that is around us will notice the difference. You know, I often uh, regret that it's uh, only at funerals that we sometimes hear the impact that people have made on others' lives. And I think we need to take more time while people are living to actually thank them and tell them the impact that we have had from them. And this fall, um, uh, my brother, my oldest brother had passed away in, on Thanksgiving weekend, and he was 70 years old, died much too young, died of a very aggressive, fast cancer. Um, but what was interesting was being at his funeral and listening to the stories of the impact of his life. He had been uh, a worker with MCC for many, many years in a country called Bangladesh, very, very poor country. And what was so fascinating, and these were things I didn't even know about him, but I heard people tell stories who had lived with him, worked with him in the field, and how he lived so incarnationally with and among the people that his team that was there with MCC, they said, yeah, we would would only see Rob on weekends because uh, the rest of us lived in the major city there, and he lived in the village with the people. And uh, one fellow who was Bengali got up, and he shared the story of how Uh, After Rob had been been there for a number of years, how uh, he got to know him, he met him for the first time, and he he met him on the phone, and he was talking to him. And then when he met met him in person, he goes, oh, you're white. He says, you are brown on the inside, and because his Bengali was perfect. He says, like, I couldn't even tell on the phone that he was not Bengali. And I'm like, and and so story after story of my brother's impact on, on people's lives, and it was like powerful of being salt, of being embedded in with the people and living in a way that help people see Jesus. So who are the people in your life whose very presence changes the essence of your gathering? And do people get a taste of the kingdom when we're part of the group? So Jesus' disciples are not only the salt of the earth, but they're also called to be the light of the world. And it's this call to mission, to be seen by those who are far away. Light is the removal of darkness or this inbreaking of light into the darkness, and the darkness is dispersed. If you think of the lostness and the evil and the darkness that is in the world and even within our own hearts, and how the light of Jesus comes in and it transforms us and it changes us, and how we allow Jesus to shine out of us. In the Ontario MBE convention that many of us were at just this last weekend, we were talking about this idea of how Jesus shines out of our brokenness. 
and into a dark world. First of all, changing the darkness within us and then shining out even amidst the brokenness that is there for us. Jesus' Jesus's disciples are called to be the light of the world. They cannot be hidden for their very nature. The kingdom life within them is a living testimony to those in the world who do not yet have that light. And so they possess this kingdom life out of which comes these good deeds, these things that they do. As Jesus is saying, let your good deeds shine. Put them on a lampstand. Let the world see them so that the Father would be glorified. What's interesting, and I'm going to just jump ahead for a second, but if you look at the next chapter, (coughs) excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, it's an interesting thing where it almost seems like Jesus is saying the contrast. So here in Matthew 5, he's saying, you know what, put your light on a lampstand, like let the world see it, let them see your good deeds. And then in Matthew chapter 6 at the beginning, he says it this way. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be, be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then he goes on to talk about prayer, and also saying, don't pray on the street corners so that everybody sees you. Just go in a closet and do it quietly. And so when you look at the, our text today of salt and light in Matthew 5, you kind of wonder, well, okay, Jesus, which, what is it? Is it, like, do we do it publicly and let everybody see, or do we do it privately and don't let anybody see, or the right hand not know what the left hand is doing? And the answer is, it depends on your motives. And that's what Jesus is getting to. In chapter 6, he's talking about people who had wrong motives, who actually wanted them to get the glory. But in chapter 5, in our text today, he's saying, no, 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 you do this and let your good deeds shine so that God gets the glory. And if our motives are so that God gets the glory, we want to declare these things and let the world see that God is good. And Jesus changes us, and he changes our circumstances. And so our motives matter. Why are we doing this? We're doing this for the glory of God alone and not for our own. So disciples, again, are salt and light, called to be intentional sojourners in a world where sometimes it feels we do not fit and we wonder how we belong. But we need to see and live the kingdom because we know the king. We know Jesus and we trust him and we follow him. And you know, it happens in the very ordinariness of our everyday lives. Every day, every moment, every interaction we have an opportunity to just be a little bit of that salt and light into the lives of people. You know, here's another truth that has struck me in this text, is that we, we experience salt and light differently in terms of proximity, don't we? You know, you, you cannot experience salt from a distance. Salt is only experienced up close and personal. Like there is no social distancing with salt. Light, on the other hand, you can experience from a distance. You can see a light way, 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 way off in the distance. But salt is something that needs to be experienced with physical touch, with being in the presence and proximity of people all the time. 
And it seems to me that kingdom impact is when people experience us the same. Whether they experience us from a distance or whether they experience us up close and personal. And I think that's one of the challenges for us, is, is there integrity in our lives? Are is, is our lives integrated in a way that people can see and experience Jesus the same when you're up on a platform speaking with a microphone as when you're in somebody's home or spending time with them? Is there integrity? Is it the same? Or is there a bigger gap? You know, one of the things I've often reflected on and I've shared with different people is, especially those of us in leadership, we have to always manage this gap in our lives. And I, I really realized that as I became a pastor. I was a local church pastor for 21 years and would often stand on a platform like this, have a mic on your head or holding in your hands, and you're speaking to people. And it often just struck me, oh, Lord, may there be very little gap between what I preach and how I live. And so I think as leaders, we have to manage that gap as, as people, each one of us. We have to manage that gap. And thankfully, by the grace of God, it is the grace of God that covers that gap because we all have a gap. But it's when we start to have it widen and widen and widen that we start to feel like we're not having any integrity in how we speak and how we live, that it becomes problematic. And I think that's what Jesus is also calling us to here in this kingdom text, in the Sermon on the Mount of being salt and light, is are you experienced the same as a distance, from a distance as you are up close and personal? Is there integrity in your public and private lives? And so as you keep reading the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> you see that there seem to be three different groups of people that are gathering. Jesus has been <clears throat> beginning to teach this expansive message about the kind of life available to those who respond to the arrival and the invitation of his kingdom. It says right at the beginning of, of Matthew 5, Verse 1 and 2, it says, When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them. So we know from looking even right there that there were crowds and there was disciples. So first of all, there was crowds. I mean, there was these people that started to hear. If you go back to chapter 4, after the temptation in the desert, then Jesus starts this preaching, teaching, and healing ministry, and people are starting to notice. People are paying attention. People in the region are starting to gather. They're like, who is this guy? And so the crowds are starting to gather, and we see that right there in the beginning of chapter 5. They might be neutral, but they're kind of like curious onlookers. They're wondering. They're just curious. Who is this Jesus? What is he all about? They're not yet convinced of who he is, but they're wondering. They haven't made a commitment yet, but they're just curious. And then there's the disciples, as it says. How Jesus intentionally gathered around these few early disciples, those who had already made some kind of commitment to Jesus. This wasn't the 12 yet, because as you read in these chapters, it was maybe four at this time. We're not sure exactly how many. But there were some of these disciples who are now, they were, they were in. They were like, this is, I'm ready to follow. And so they were gathering around wanting to understand more deeply who this was and how to follow him. But then there was also the religious leaders, and we see that as we go on. Even the passage I wrote about or talked about in, in chapter 6, where he says, he's talking about motives, is he's talking to the religious leaders who would do this in public so that the praise would go to them. And so there was these religious leaders who are also now kind of hanging around the fringes and listening to Jesus. 
They were part of this religious culture that worked really well for them, and so they had suspicion and even fears of Jesus because the things that he was teaching kind of threatened everything in their world, didn't it? So they were paying attention. So what's interesting to me was here is Jesus. He's inviting the crowds. He's training the disciples, and he's rebuking the Pharisees. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we see him speaking to these different audiences. Well, he's speaking to all of them and whoever's there, but they're all getting a very different kind of challenging message because of where they're coming from. And it makes me wonder, I wonder what group Matthew was in at this point. You know, like here's the guy, he's writing about this, and we actually only hear about his transformation story later on. I think it's in Matthew chapter 9 where we hear about his own personal story. But here he's writing about his early encounters, and I wonder, I wonder who, which group was he a part of? Was he part of the curious onlookers, you know? Was he actually a committed disciple at this point? We don't know. As a tax collector, was he a religious legalist of some sort? Initially threatened by Jesus' teaching, or maybe he was the early adopter. We're not sure. I don't know about you, but I can, I can see different aspects of each of these groups in my own life. Sometimes I'm just sort of the curious onlooker to the kingdom and sort of intrigued, but hold it at a distance. Sometimes I can be the religious legalist with judgment on other people about how they're maybe living their lives or what it means to be a follower of Christ and more rigid and legalistic than I care to admit. And hopefully somewhere in there, there's also this committed disciple who loves Jesus and who welcomes the invitations that he has each day into his kingdom. And probably we can each see some of our own story in these different groups. And so how do we respond? You know, as I said, every single day we can choose to be salt and light. Every single day we have choices to make. There are kingdom invitations and kingdom opportunities all around us. And one of the things that I often pray, pray is not, uh, Lord, you know, be here. God is here. His spirit is here among us. But my prayer is, Lord, would you awaken me to your spirit? And would you awaken me to your kingdom reality that's all around us right now? And I just, I miss so much. I know I do. I just long to have a heart and to have eyes to see more of his kingdom, eyes to see more of who he is and what he's doing. And I just pray that God would help us to lift our eyes. And that's one of the things that I've always loved about Global Mission, even when I was a local church pastor, is it helped me to lift my eyes from the things of the everyday work of running the machinery of a church. Kevin knows nothing about that and others. But, but, but of lifting your eyes beyond the stuff that's right in front of you and actually seeing a bigger picture of the kingdom of God. But not only just to see it on the other side of the globe, but to see it right across the street, to see it right here in Virgil, to see it right in this community where God is doing things that we so often miss. God is doing something right within our families that we so often miss. And it's right there in front of us. And God, would you help us to see your kingdom work and the invitations that you have for us each and every day? That's my prayer. I want to read from you just uh, an example of this. And, and again, this is just one expression. And uh, some of you, if you were at the convention, you might have been in a setting. I, in one of the breakouts, I shared this as well. 
But I have the privilege of sitting every week on a global lead team call, and Doug is part of that. He's a regional team leader with Multiply, and there's about eight of us that are part of this call each week. Doug Penner leads uh, this team. And one of the people on that uh, global lead team is Louise Sinclair Peters, and she's been hosting a team from Eastview Church in Winnipeg, uh, a group of North American church people who went there to go serve alongside her. And they've been taking the eyeglasses and proclaiming the gospel uh, with these people in Myanmar. And uh, just this last Thursday, we were talking about the kingdom of God. And if you know Doug, you know he loves the kingdom of God. And we were talking about that. And, and Louise is reflecting that in this. And so this is a, a message that she sent out just yesterday morning. And that's one of the things I love is I get some of these front row seats of these things. And I could show you lots of pictures from my phone, but you can't see them. So here's what she says. After 22 years of hosting teams from North America, I think I may have struck gold. And she's not talking about the team, she's talking about how to work with the team and how to think about and process and debrief with the team. We ended our week with the Eastview team with a morning of prayer and fasting with our Myanmar believers after an intensive week of preaching the gospel. And thanks to our global lead team conversation on the kingdom on Thursday, I focused our sharing and intercession on where the kingdom came near to us this past week. The Spirit met us all in a profound way. These few team were in tears, and they said, we have never met God in worship like this before. All glory to God. And I love that story. And yes, this is a team that took advantage of a kingdom invitation to go to the other side of the world. But the reality is, is that, again, we have these invitations today, this afternoon, where we can be talking with people and asking them, where, where did you see the kingdom break in? Where do you see us come near the kingdom this week? in our family, in our home. If we're willing to have those conversations and ask ourselves those conversations, I believe that Jesus wants to show us more and more of his kingdom and his desire for us and our invitation to be salt and light. And so how is it that Jesus is inviting you to be salt and light this week? It's about obedience to his spirit. And as we walk in obedience, the kingdom possibilities are revealed. And we know that because, again, going further down at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, he ends this whole section by saying, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And it's about obedience. At the very end of Matthew, he says this well-known passage, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Teach them to obey. And so God's invitation to us is to walk in obedience, to walk knowing Him, to examine our lives and to invite Him more and more into our dark spaces. And I pray that we won't be the religious Pharisees with rigid rules and hardened hearts, nor that we'd just merely be the curious spectators and the onlookers to the kingdom hanging out on the fringes and wondering what it's all about. But that we might walk as committed disciples with integrity that people would experience us the same from a distance as they do up close, ready to follow, ready to obey, ready to be salt and light. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for the reality of your kingdom and Jesus, we thank you that you are the king, and we worship you today. 
And Lord, we just confess that so often we can be like the Pharisees and the religious leaders, or we can be the curious onlookers from a distance. Lord, would you show us today and this week how you're asking us to take a step of obedience to be more of a committed disciple. And Jesus, I do pray. I pray that for each person here, for Cornerstone Church, that you would help us to lift our eyes and to see more of who you are and your kingdom reality. Help us to live into this truth and this prophetic declaration that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world, that you have called us to do that. You give us your spirit to live out this kingdom reality. So Lord, we just, Lord, we just ask for more of you and that you would use us more to impact this world around us. Give us your joy and your grace to do that well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you please stand if you're able and we'll respond.